Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Our scripture reading today, if you would stand for it, we are continuing in our Encountering God on Light Rail series, and we're talking today about Encountering God through children. And so I'm going to read Matthew from Matthew chapter 18, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus' first disciples had many of the same addictions and pathologies that we have. They were regular people like we are. And while the times have certainly changed over the past 2,000 years when this event would have occurred, the inner rumblings of human beings in the first century were much the same as the inner rumblings of human beings in the 21st century. And in this account from Matthew chapter 18, the first disciples were concerned about their status, where they stood in the pecking order of God's kingdom. And you can immediately recognize how embarrassingly human this was of them. They're thinking about, where am I on the scale? Where do I fit? What's, what's my place? And how do I advance higher? They want to know, in other words, who is number one? Who's the best disciple? Who's the greatest And they can't agree on the answer, so they go to Jesus one day and they ask him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And their question, just to sort of start here, is all about status, and it's all about power, and it's all about importance. And the Bible says, at this point, Jesus invited a young child to come and stand in the middle of this gathering of his disciples, probably a child under 10 years old. And I'm going to assume it was a girl for a whole host of reasons that aren't worth going into at this point. But if you can imagine this gathering of, we'll just say it was his 12 disciples, these 12 men in the first century gathered around asking Jesus, who's number one? Who's the best? Who's the mega is the actual word used in this passage. And so he invites this as we said, we're going to assume it's a little girl, to come forward, and she just stood there as Jesus proclaimed the way things work in his kingdom. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus reorients their desire for greatness 
around the humility and the vulnerability of a young girl. She doesn't say anything while she stands there. She doesn't do anything. She just stands there. And Jesus makes this declaration. But the visual of this little girl reorients or attempts to reorient the disciples to what the kingdom of God is all about and how the kingdom of God actually works. And so today we continue, as we continue to talk about encountering God on light rail, that is in everyday life experiences, we're considering the ways in which we encounter God through children. By simply being present with children. And maybe most importantly, being students of children. So let's talk about church and children first. In the first century, much like now, children were considered a blessing from God. They were loved by their parents in the same ways that we love our children. But the culture of Jesus' time was exceedingly hierarchical. And to understand what's happening in this passage, what Jesus is doing, we have to recognize how hierarchical this culture was. Our culture is hierarchical, but they may have been even more so. Scholar Craig Keener writes this, the most powerless members of ancient society were little children. In most of ancient society, age increased one's social status and authority. In Jewish culture, children were loved, not despised, but the point is that they had no status apart from that love and no power or privileges apart from what they received as total dependence on their parents. No status apart from the love of their parents. No power or privilege apart from what they received from their parents. Status was everything in the first century. Romans, Jews, Gentiles, barbarians, slaves, free, male, female, healthy, sick, rich, poor, age. All these classifications established one's place on the pecking order. And children were down near the bottom. According to Craig Keener, they were at the bottom. They had no power. They had no privilege. They had no ability to influence. And the disciples are trying to understand the economy of God's kingdom so they can make their mark and promote up the ladder. And then Jesus invites a weak, powerless child with zero status to stand in the center of the circle. And he says to his disciples, unless you change and become like this little girl, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever takes the lowly position of this little girl is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's mind-boggling. Unless you change and become humble like she is, unless you change and become vulnerable like she is, what do we mean by vulnerable? She can do Nothing on her own. She can influence nothing. She can exert her power over nothing. She can survive not unless those who love her provide and take care of her. So unless you become like this, with a posture like this before God, very clear statement, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
So Jesus flips the world's status game right up on its head. The greatest in the kingdom is the one who is humble, the one who is vulnerable, like a child. No status apart from God's love. I am God's beloved son. I am God's beloved daughter. That is my status. No power other than the power that God himself grants. See, Jesus is pointing to this child because she is vulnerable. She is a nobody in the society. She has no power. She has no influence. She has no ability to win or impress or coerce or take. She is completely dependent on others. She's at their mercy. She's in their care. She's humble. She's vulnerable. And this is the posture, according to Jesus, of an authentic disciple. Now, obviously... Children are self-centered and sinful like we are. Not trying to say that all the way through and through that they have this kind of innocence or perfection. Not really. They're self-centered and they're sinful. They have their moments like we do. But their natural vulnerability, especially in this culture, and their sort of instinctual humility reflect the way of the kingdom. So the ethic of the kingdom is visible in the way of the child. But here's the other thing I want us to see. The ethic of the kingdom is visible just in the presence of a child. Come and stand here and then Jesus makes the proclamation. So when we watch a child, when we listen to a child, if we have eyes and ears that are able to see and able to hear, we learn the way of the kingdom. And to be present with a child, to actually be with them, is to be with someone whose natural disposition is near the kingdom. Jesus actually makes a rather wild statement in verse 5. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now, of course, with every verse in the Bible, there's all sorts of Smart people who offer all sorts of, well, this is what it means, or that's what it means, and almost never is there agreement. But whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, if we take it as it's stated, has unbelievable implications. And let's whittle it down a little further. has unbelievable implications for a local church like Oak Hills. Whoever welcomes one such child in the name of Jesus, according to Jesus, welcomes Jesus. I mean, he's getting right to the sacredness of encountering children. One of the guys, I really like how he writes and what he talks about is Dave Fitch. And he says this, it's on the screen. The stunning reality is that being with children is an encounter with the living Christ. We set aside our striving and we quiet our need to control. We enter their space and tend to their presence. In their vulnerabilities, my own vulnerabilities are exposed. In so doing, a space is opened up and Jesus becomes present and begins to work. At one of our recent communion Sundays, first Sunday of the month, The children, our children, were here in the room with us throughout the service, which meant on that one uh, Sunday they have to endure this thing called a sermon. 
And before the service started, I was sitting actually right over here in the front row and Robin, Jordan, guitar guy's wife, and their six-year-old son, Dashiell, were sitting right here. And I turned over to Robin. I said, Robin, you're sitting up front today. They normally sit back there because Georgia, their little newborn, is with them, so they sit near where the parent room is. I said, Robin, you're sitting up front today. And Dashiell said to me, that's because my little sister Georgia's not with us. And I don't know why, but I was ready to go home after that. It just was all I needed. Let me say it this way. God was present in Dashiell's enthusiastic joy over his sister's absence. (laughs) And it just landed on me like, what a gift. I don't need anything else. It's time to go home. So at one point during the sermon on that particular day, I was talking about the fact that since God is with us in everyday life, everything is different. And at one point I was going through this list of things that were different, and I said, so the boring class at school is not just a boring class, because God is present in the midst of it. And Jordan told me later, right at that point, Dashiell turned to him and said, this is a boring class. (laughs) It was just awesome. So I thought we were really doing well with uh, my sister George is not here. But it got better when he said, this is a boring class. He's right. It often is a boring class. But again, his comment just made the Sunday for me. Brought this perspective, you know, grinding it out. It's all got to be said right, whatever. And he's going, this is boring. Let's get this over with. There's just a joy embedded in the whole being of a child. And if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, it does something to us. It calls out to something in us. It perhaps even reminds us of a way we used to be. Several years ago at Oak Hills, we decided to be as purposeful as we knew how to become an intergenerational congregation. What does that mean? Sounds like a fancy phrase. Sounds like a boring phrase. But to be an intergenerational congregation, we made a conscious choice a number of years ago to do a better job of being together as a congregation, to bringing all the different ages together and integrating more uh, young and old and everything in between, instead of separating children and youth from adults and having essentially two different churches. We opted to bring together in the hopes of having one different, diverse gathering of people whose ages, among other things, were different. And we set out a number of years ago to learn how to be with each other in those age differences. And many of you have experienced this. Some of you have expressed your delight in this. Some of you have expressed your Uh, whatever the opposite of delight is in this. And there's all sorts of things that have sort of moved and morphed as a result of trying to be with children, not just in here, but in general, trying to be present to them, trying to learn from them, trying to be with them in our gathering. But again, the reason we did this, the reason we continue to do this, the reason this value is so important to us is because we believe God is more fully present when we gather 
in our age differences and deal with all of the things that get churned up in those times. So, not too long ago, there was a middle school retreat where our middle schoolers and a number of volunteer leaders went away for the weekend to be together, to learn about God together, to worship Him together. And we thought it'd be a good idea as we keep reflecting on this today to hear from a couple of the leaders who were at the retreat. So, Jenna Glenn, Rachel Barkey, why don't you guys come up here? Now, I don't like the way this sets up, but... Oh, that's what I'm thinking. Where's she going? She's calling an audible. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This looks a little strange sitting up above you, so I don't know what else to do, but don't read into it. Um, so why don't you give us just a flyover of the weekend? Who went? How many went? Where you went? Um, Jenna, why don't you start? Um, we went up to the mountains. I don't even know where we were. I got asked that all week. Dream Mountain. But I don't even... Arnold. I got asked all week, where are you guys going? I really didn't know even when I got into the car, I had to put in on GPS, like where the address was, but it was where a lot of trees were and not a lot of cell service and just woods. And that was great. Is Rachel on? No. You want me yellow? I got it. Yeah, that's not what it is. I turned it off. Is that why it did it? Is this better? Ooh. Yeah, Stream Mountain is above Arnold's. It's about an hour away. It's okay. In the middle. And there were 26 of us, including leaders. Yeah. And how many leaders? Five, Five and then Travis. So 20, and then Travis. Okay. All right. So about 20 middle schoolers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So as you, and maybe each of you could respond to this, how many, uh, what was a highlight for you uh, of the weekend? I had a lot of highlights, but um, I think... A big one was that we had to clean up after ourselves, um, you know, because they served us food. But then they had a way of cleaning up. And Travis, the first night, was like, you know, I I really we need your help in this. We're going to need some of you kids to help clean up. And um, I was shocked at how those kids cleaned up after each other after every meal. Some of the ones that were assigned to do it cleaned up, but then a lot of the kids just stayed around to just serve other people, and um, especially the eighth graders. I felt like they took a leadership role in that without even being asked, and I thought that was really neat, and it was a highlight for me. Cool. Rachel? Um, So middle schoolers are an interesting window of friends that I have, and um, so uniquely they're kind of in this ambiguous space that is um, they're starting to separate girls and boys but they don't quite know why that's weird yet because up till this point they've been playing together and doesn't matter if you're a girl or a boy so um, that distinction becomes really clear when you shove them all together so something that stood out to me is that these gentlemen were not afraid of the girls and like stepped up and helped them and played games with them and just really took extra 
steps to hang out. Maybe it's because they liked each other. But it's <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this one, um, this is one of those curveballs. I didn't tell you that I was going to ask this one. So the, the thing I want you to think about and, and maybe share with us is when you think of being there with this group of middle schoolers, um, can, you, can you talk about something that you felt like God taught you through them? I thought it was going to be a big deal that it was going to be like no cell phones uh, use and coverage. Uh, we didn't take them away, but it was like strongly discouraged. Um, I think I had a harder time that my cell phone didn't work. And it really didn't work. And boy, those kids, I felt like they didn't really care. And I thought that was really cool, you know, that they just... Um, they got into it, uh, just into the weekend, into the message. They were given a time to go away and reflect alone, find a space in the woods. And they took it in and embraced it um, and just got away in the mountains. And I really appreciate that. And it was very inspiring. Good. So um, along a similar path when um, Travis gave options when you were in the woods reflecting, you could read certain passages. You could talk out loud to God. Like he was a person sitting next to you. Um, You could pray. He gave him a whole bunch of things. Um, And then after that was done, I had a good 10 students run up to me and say, did you read this? I want to talk to you about this. I, I, I did it. And then some other of them would come up and the, I didn't read it. I want to read it now. And so we ended up having extra Bible study on top of that because the people that didn't read the scripture that Travis um, had suggested wanted to because they were they saw these other people getting such rich beautiful words from it and um that was really convicting to my heart um that i don't always have that kind of enthusiasm about reading um the words of god and they just couldn't get enough like more i want more rachel tell me more can we read more that's good well and then rachel opened up like she's like okay we're gonna we're gonna do an optional thing tonight Right about the time where I was, like, getting tired, like, 11, 15, she was like, we're going to do an optional thing tonight. Whoever wants to come, girls, like, in the girls' section, you you girls can come at, like, 11, 15. And I was, I don't know what I was thinking, but more than half of them came to the optional. And mind you, we'd already done a lot of Bible study and meet and, you know, with the Lord. And this was, like, on top of it. And, boy, they were hungry. Like, they were, they were like, there for it, too. Yeah. Bible's open. That's great. That's good. <laughs> So last thing, when you, you, you both are volunteer, you're not just at the retreat, you volunteer in the middle school program on a regular basis. So you, we're sitting here today, we're talking about children, being with children. You just know this, I know this. When we say middle schoolers, a lot of people um, recoil would be one way to put it. There's a sense of, that's great for them. Uh, but so as you think about, what you've observed just being involved in the middle school program. Each of you think about what you would want to say to the rest of us about what it's like to be with them uh, in the journey that they're on.
I mean, these kids are... Don't cry. I know. Not <laughs> these kids are really amazing. Um, they're hungry for the Lord. They're um, really supportive to one another. Um, this group... A chunk of them have been together for a long time, and they're just very vulnerable with each other. The things they say to each other um, is deep within their heart, and the girls, who I work mostly with, obviously, have this year come alongside each other in some hard times and really been um, lovely each other so that's it's so neat to see that and to see those relationships developing what fellowship looks like even at such a young age coming alongside one another it's cool Great. so they're scary from the outside I've always been the the person that's like I like middle school but high school is really my space um, but middle schoolers have always gravitated towards me um, and like I said, in that we- really weird space, all they want to know is that you claim them. Like, I, I am your friend. I want to live life with you. And it's like this. A switch flips, and they all of a sudden love you deeper than any person I think you could ever experience and tell you everything, good, bad, and weird, <laughs> buffaloes. And... um and it's just the most pure form of love I have ever experienced, unique to their age group. Wow. Um, and they're just really special humans. That's good. Thank you guys for sharing. Let's talk for a bit about parents and children. <clears throat> we believe the good news of Jesus Christ is... His invitation to all people to trust Him in everything and rely on Him for everything and live interactively with Him in every situation of life. So we trust Him, for example, for the forgiveness of our sins. We trust Him to be at work transforming our inner being. We trust Him when we find ourselves in the midst of life's hardships and Challenges. If we just wanted to whittle it down to what is the good news inviting us to, it's inviting us to trust God in everything. And this is the gospel of the kingdom. To live right now under God's reign, under his rule, under his leadership, in the details of our everyday lives, in this posture of trusting him in all these ways. So our... Longtime friend Dallas Willard in one of his great books puts it this way. It's on the screen and this is, this is as clear as I can, as I've seen in terms of describing this. Jesus came among us to show and teach the life for which we were made. He came very gently, opened access to the governance of God with him and set afoot a, cons- a conspiracy of freedom and truth among human beings. Having overcome death, he remains among us. By relying upon his word and presence, we are enabled to reintegrate the little realm that makes up our life into the infinite rule of God. And that is the eternal kind of life. Caught up in this active rule, our deeds become an element in God's eternal history. 
They are what God and we do together, making us part of His life and Him a part of ours. He inducts us into the eternal kind of life that flows through Himself. He does this by bringing that life to bear upon our needs and then by diffusing it throughout our deeds. Deeds done with the expectation that He and His Father will act with and in our actions. I don't know a better way to describe the kingdom of God and what life in this kingdom is all about. By relying upon His Word and presence, we are enabled to reintegrate the little realm that makes up our life into the infinite rule of God, an eternal kind of life. Caught up in this active rule, our deeds become an element in God's eternal history. They are what God and we do together, making us part of His life and Him a part of ours. And I simply want to remind us today and especially remind parents and grandparents that our children have an incredibly unique way of helping us experience life in God's kingdom in the midst of our everyday lives. That children are one of the ways when you welcome a child, you welcome him. They're one of the ways that this kingdom life, this experience that Willard is talking about, where, the, where our little realm is brought up into God's realm of his kingdom. And we trust that to him. That happens so often through the everyday, ordinary experience that we have with children. And... I came across this recently from Travis, and it just depicts this perfectly. So, roll this clip. that part but the baby's laughing which is delightful in and of itself did you see that mom reach out and touch her on the face and the baby put her hands on her mom's hands that is just you just watch that you experience that you see that and if we're attentive if we're awake if we're alert to God's presence and what he's doing in and around us it's those kinds of everyday experiences we have with our children that open up a space to encounter God. And I want to say this is true, certainly, of little moments like that. Yes, it's true as well of children who are 3 years old, 13 years old, 23, or 43. If we have ears to hear and eyes to see, we as parents, we as grandparents, will encounter God through our children, as will others who maybe don't have their own children. And we need to remember this because parenting and grandparenting is hard work. 
And there are lots of times, as many of us know, when the grind is exhausting. And there are times where it may seem like it doesn't matter. And we just want the demands to stop. And we want someone to actually listen to us and do what we say. There are times in our lives we reach a certain age and this sort of virus creeps into our head. It goes something like this. I did my time with children. I served my time in the middle school ministry. I did my thing in the children's ministry when I was younger. But now I'm older and this is my time. Those kinds of things creep into our mind. And we just simply have to remember that we encounter God through children. I was walking across the campus a few weeks ago. And there was a mom with two of her four children as I was walking by. And these two beloved children were being rather uncooperative in this moment. They were doing what they wanted to at the pace they wanted to do it. And this is a, this is a mom and this is a woman who takes very seriously her devotion to follow God and be present to Jesus. I know this because I know her fairly well. But in that moment, this mom was clinging to patience and clinging to hope, and both were fading fast. And I walked by, and she said to me, I know I'm supposed to treasure these years with my kids, but sometimes, like right now, I can't wait until they're old and gone. Just incredibly authentic moment. And you know what? We all understand those moments. It can be a grind. It's hard. But the other side is the role our children play in helping us to learn who God is. I can't watch that without thinking there is a theology in that. There's like anthropology in that. Like that's just the way that God arranges things. That little baby is just delighting. And the baby's delight is the mother's delight and our delight. And I cannot look at that without thinking, God is in that if I have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. Children play a role in helping us learn who God is and experience God and hear His voice and grow in His character. And our children open up spaces in us. I mean, just jump back into that scene for a moment and we are the child. And God is the parent. And our delight is His delight. And every now and then, He puts His hand on our face and we put our hands on His hand. And there's this intimacy and this togetherness, this sense of how God made things to be. Our children open up spaces in us that may not otherwise be open. And God comes to us through our children. We've talked about this many, many times. And so I'll use myself as an example, and you can make it fit if it does however you want. But when I think about my story, my life story, and who I am, and how I came to be who I am, I can't think about that for more than a few minutes without looking back over my history and recognizing that early in my life, certain things went on that marked me, and in some cases scarred me. And it left a wound in me. And I've spent so much of life trying to find healing for that wound. And you know where that healing came from? Sam, Abby, Izzy. Didn't come from them. 
but through being with them, through interacting with them, God opened up something in me, and in many ways, He came to me through them and did something in me through them. So let's get to the last thing here, the practice. As you know, each week of this series, we've tried to suggest a practice, something that we can walk out of here committed to go do, not just think about, not just reflect on in here. And this, it, it couldn't be easier this week. So here's the practice. Be present to a child. What does that mean? This is, you might say, the punchline of today's boring class. Be present to a child. Not to correct them. Not to change them. Not to tell them what not to do or tell them what to do. Certainly there are times for that. That's not what we're talking about. But to learn about God and His kingdom from them by simply being present with them. So spend unhurried and non-agenda time with a child. If you don't have one, in a very short time, they'll be running around this room. So you'll have your chance. Unhurried and non-agenda time. Give your attention to them. Let them be what they are and learn from them. Notice their freedom. Notice their joy. Notice their vulnerability and their humility and how that sort of mushrooms up into this trust, this confidence that those who are intended to take care of them will and learn the way of the kingdom. You know something that would be worth doing as part of your spiritual practices this week? Find that video and watch it. And just enter into it. We'll put it up on whatever we put those things up on, and you'll be able to see it. But children, be present to a child here in this room, maybe. You're at the store. You're on your way. i got a lot to do. i got to hurry up. And there's a child with its parent just being there. What would it be like to be attentive to them? for just a moment or two. What would that do to us? Or at home, or at school, or wherever. I want to finish by reading from, like I said, one of my favorite writers and insightful pastors named Dave Fitch. I'm going to read his account of being present to children, why it matters, and why children need it. And you can just hear this, and then I'm going to pray. Every Saturday morning, my 10-year-old son and I sit across from one another in a local greasy spoon eating breakfast. I direct my attention to his face. He struggles to sit still. He can barely stand it. He wants to reach around and watch the television hanging on the wall in the restaurant. So I diligently choose the one spot in the restaurant that blocks all such views of the television. Then he wants to play a video game on my phone or read a Calvin and Hobbes comic book. I quietly say no thanks and ask him for three topics. It's all part of the Saturday morning ritual we've been doing for years. Nonetheless, he still grimaces and lets go an exasperating, Oh, Dad. He chooses two topics. I choose one. He says, dogs, airplanes. And I say, school. Let's talk about the highlights and lowlights of school this week. Oh, Dad. And slowly, by making sure I never raise my voice, we begin the exchange. So much more important than anything I say or he hears is my posture at the table. I sit peacefully. 
I cast my eyes on him and give him the entire focus of my face. I'm intentionally trusting that Jesus will be present in this space that we inhabit together. And I am tending to what God, by his spirit, is doing among us. Nothing affects my child more than when I take time to sit with him across the table and tend to Christ's presence. It is the epitome of faithful presence on a busy Sunday morning. Our children are the casualties of a crazy, confusing, frenzied society. They are cast adrift by the moorings of their relationships at home, church, and in the neighborhood. The world can't be trusted, they are told. We therefore need certified programs for everything. Sports, music, tutoring, dance, the arts, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, and gaming must, must all be programmed and leaders must be screened for past crimes and sexual history. As the children shuffle from one scrubbed program to another, their souls are pushed and pulled looking for the right path to direct their passions. They are waiting to be drawn into a place worthy of their trust. They are longing to know and be known. The world is obsessed with its children. Meanwhile, the children want presence. They yearn for face-to-face presence. Let's pray together. Struck by looking at that video and by listening to this reading, that the child in us, each of us, it just never goes away, nor should it. The child in us that longs to be known. The child in us that longs to be desired. The child in us that longs to be loved deeply. The child in us that longs to be touched on the face tenderly. To be the delight of another. It is so good for us as we reflect upon the way God speaks to us through children to recognize that He is our Father. We are His children. Beloved children. Deeply loved more than anybody else could ever possibly love us. He wants us. Our delight is His delight. And He is infinitely good. And even when life is excruciatingly painful, God is infinitely good. And He loves us deeply. to just be in this place receiving His great love and trusting Him.